my good surfing is getting a seven and his is getting an eight? Like what is happening? Is the world flipped on its head? We're off. Uh, Stace, we're a little bit late to the game. I think we've both been running around. You had to get yourself back from west to east coast Australia, and I've just been all over the place lately. Um, but we got a lot to cover. We do. It's all happening at the moment, or all happened at least. <laughs> um, so obviously Strickland Bay concluded a few days, maybe a week ago. Um, it, you know, I didn't get to watch much of it other than on the, like, the heat analyzer, just because of the time zone difference and other projects I had going on. Um, but, I mean, I just went, again, for, like, a secondary scroll today through the heat analyzer to, you know, pick up on things I might have missed. And I felt like watching just, you know, the green waves in heats throughout the event, like, it looked like it was fairly pumping, was that kind of the take from on the ground or was that really just kind of cherry poke picking the best moment? In the end, when we look back on it, it was actually pretty pumping. It just got off to a bit of a slow start, which kind of had everyone second guessing, like, what's going to happen to this wave? What are we going to end up finishing in? Is it even really a quality ride, even when it's good? You know, Taj had the heat reading, catch a wave. There was a few things where it wasn't looking pretty, but... Pretty much after day one, every day that they ran had like heaps of opportunity and it ended up being a super fun wave. Even the day where they ran three heats and, um, you know, a few of the big names lost out, they all still were, you know, fine with the opportunities they had. Um, and I think the idea of being somewhere new actually had everyone pretty, pretty fired up. One of the first sessions that you filmed down there, you sent it over to me, just full raw clips, no music, no editing, nothing. And um, I posted it on the internet because I found it interesting to see the wave in a raw form. And I figured a lot of other people would too, because most people in the world haven't actually seen this wave break. And um, I actually want to read you kind of what I wrote about it, which, um, you know, we discussed it as well. And you kind of agreed with some of these points in the moment, but they're kind of funny now in retrospect. So here's what I wrote. From first appearances, it's not great. The right is short and speedy. The left is slightly longer and full of wonk. My guess is we'll see some crazy airs on the right and some awkward down the, down the line turns on the left. It's kind of like a smaller, more condensed version of Margaret River main break, except it doesn't look like it can hold much bigger than what's pictured above. Granted, this could just be a funny swell, angle, tide, star alignment, etc. The event could go off, proving me and this video horribly wrong. In fact, I very much hope that's the case. Um, so, yeah, kind of a critical review of the wave. Um, and the one funny thing, especially, is I said that it couldn't hold much bigger just based off of that first appearance. And, of course, it ended up being, like, three times that size in the final day. And that was, like, kind of when it seemed to, to break at its best. So... Uh, yeah, that, that's what happens when you try to analyze a wave from, what, like 20,000 miles away? I'm going to thank you for the jinx. You cooked it pretty hard, and I agreed with you for sure. We were all, everyone was pretty concerned. Um, and I'm stoked that you said that because ultimately it proved you wrong. It proved everyone wrong, I think, including me. So, yeah, it, it was one of those ways where as, like, it got bigger and it just needed a real swell or, or something around that kind of, you know, one and a half to two meter mark for it to actually work. And, and with the forecast that we were dealing with, everyone was just going, oh my God. But as we've learned through this whole Australian league, you've just got to get up and have a look at it. 
and um, you know, particularly finals day, it was pumping. It was so good. I I, I kind of wish, and I think everyone does. I wish there was more heats on that day because it was it was the best day. It was so good. Yeah, and um, one of the funny things to come out of that little story that I wrote in the video we posted is um, apparently a lot of the Perth surfing locals were actually pretty upset with us. And I think we actually had a few people cancel their Stab Premium subscriptions based off of it, which is, one, hilarious um, that you would do that. One, like, be that affected by it that you would do that. Two, this wasn't, like, a premium article. This is a free article, and still people were so outraged that they would do that. Um, But I think that's amazing that people actually, like, care that much about their home break like they take it that seriously like I think that's great and I I really appreciate anybody who did that so I'm sorry I offended you obviously I was wrong um and I think you did the right thing but yeah I I found that pretty funny (laughs) that is that is pretty funny you you'd kind of be stoked if someone cooked your local and it was a good wave right because then no one would ever want to inquire about it but maybe they want to surf with more people over there (laughs) well I don't know there is just something so personal about the waves that we call home and it's like I don't have any siblings um but I would imagine this is at least what I hear from people with siblings like I can talk all the shit I want on them but if somebody else does it's fucking game on and it feels like that's how a lot of people are with their home break you know like you you just have this connection with it that you don't want anybody talking down on it like if you bring a friend down there you want them to have a good time um and yeah, I don't know. I think that that's a beautiful thing about surfing. For sure. I know that feeling better than anyone. I grew up on the armpit of the points of all the Gold Coast, um, the beautiful Crumman Alley where you can perfect your cutback and everyone else, you know, Burley and Snapper and Kira just getting drained 24-7. But the alley does have it that has its day. So, you know, but no one cares <laughs> to look and that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, So, yeah, I mean, getting a little bit, I guess, now deeper into our analysis of this event, um, one of the other little sideshows that was going on throughout this entire thing, um, which I don't know if you caught it, but on Stab Premium, we hired a lifelong financial crimes journalist to essentially try to pierce the WSL's bubble that they had on Rottnest Island. Um, So, you know, first they, they went by... Um, they tried to go by foot, they tried to go by boat, they, they ended up sinking a boat, and it was basically just this uh, long catalog of tales by this man named Nathan Lynch, who's a very, very funny writer, um, and eventually it sounds like he got inside on finals day. Did you happen to see Nathan, or was this all happening like completely in the shadows? I got wind that the, the whole boat incident happened, and he was saved by... Um, none other than is it Dave Barnett the guy who owned the Raider which then turned into the Indies Trader um, which is that's an amazing story um, from yeah the Sea of Darkness which is um, yeah the best surf doco or best one of the best docos ever made really um, and that in itself had me had me pretty um, intrigued but then I ended up meeting Nathan at, a, at the, the Gov the local bar uh, one afternoon, he was actually kind enough to um, buy me and the lads a couple of beers. So we, we got off um, on the right foot and, and he was a, a super, super jovial character. And um, I couldn't believe that, uh, you know, he finally penetrated the bubble on uh, on finals day. Yeah, anybody who hasn't uh, read that saga yet should go back and do it. Even in retrospect, I think you would get a lot of laughs out of it. 
Um, so well done to Nathan and his team of Vagabonds for <laughs> getting the job done over there. It made, like, we, we obviously still had our daily contest wraps um, done by Australian Tim Hawken. They were great as well, but this provided a totally different side of the event that you wouldn't get from that. Um, and speaking of which, I wanted to ask you, what was it like being out on Rotnest, also in the context of it being like at the end of a really long Australian leg? Was everyone just kind of like over it or was it such a unique experience that people were kind of soaking it in? I definitely think it was such a unique experience that everyone was soaking it in. And, and that was, um, I think, led by its recent history and, and the, the dark history that, that Rotnest um, that carries. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a welcome to country, which is pretty traditional across all Australian events, um, to have the traditional owners of the, that, that land in that area give us like a welcoming, welcoming ceremony with a smoking ceremony and things like that, and a few local dances. But on this occasion, we actually had Professor Lenny Collard and, um, and a friend of his, Simon Zuvich, actually around the event all week, um, sort of keeping everyone, I think, respectfully in line with with where they were and and how to kind of and how to operate over there um because it wasn't just another ct like that you know rottenest island has um it's like the biggest colonial prison in australia i think and and um it 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 had operated up until you know the last century and so there was a lot of like yeah modern history to be learnt there that none of us knew about obviously so i think that whole part of that journey was was interesting to learn about and um and then you know secondary to that was was the surfing and i think the fact that it was a new wave kept everyone on their toes and and was a nice little cherry on what was the end of a pretty pretty long leg for sure on that note why don't we get into some of the actual stuff that happened in the event? Um, obviously, first and foremost, we have Gabriel Medina winning the men's. He's now shot up to like an 8,000-point lead. Um, he's made four of five finals this year, which is some sort of freaking pace. Um, and he would probably be at a point where you'd be talking about him being pretty uncatchable if this were a normal year. But of course... This is not a normal year. We're going to end up with the WSL finals, so he will very likely have that number one slot and get a guaranteed three man or three heat surf off for the world title. Um, but other than his obvious dominance, what else did you see that kind of um, inspired you over there? The thing that inspired me the most was Morgan Sibilic and his his obvious um, intentions on the tour uh, at such a young age and so he's five events into his CT career. Like he'd never even had a wild card at one of these things before he qualified. So you couldn't get any greener. And he, the way he goes about like his heats and how he's surfing and how he carries himself, it's like, you know, Newcastle wasn't a fluke. Narrabeen wasn't a fluke. And again, here at Strickland Bay, like he's so professional and so just belongs where he is it's it's as an aussie it, everyone's so so pumped on morgan right now yeah i mean it's hard to disagree like seeing the strategy that he takes into heats is really really cool to me because you know obviously there's no hiding the fact that he's not an italo or a medina level talent right like it, he's out there trying to in his own words find the biggest waves and go 12 o'clock 
And that's a strategy that's been around since the 1980s when the thruster was invented. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's, it's not rocket science. It's not the most progressive surfing in the world. But he's got a lot of confidence and he's got a lot of confidence in the strategy that he brings into heat. So if he tells himself, I'm going to sit there, I don't care if it takes 25 minutes for that first really good wave to come, but I'm going to sit there and I'm going to catch it and then I'm going to surf the shit out of it. That's what he's going to do. Um, and, and I find that pretty awesome. The one thing that I do find really interesting is like the fact that he can now be in world title contention along with Medina and Italo, it seems a little bit off to me. Like I've been a pretty big proponent of the WSL's new system where we're gonna have that final day just because I think it'll be interesting and exciting. The one flaw I see in it though is like, if a guy gets in at like fifth place and he's just so clearly not in the same realm as the top, top guys. And like, if, I don't know, if some strange a series of events occurs where there's a few injuries or the waves are really bad or really slow or whatever and then that person finds themselves somehow as the world champion at the end of the year i think that's when we say like that system is broken because for anybody other than i think gabby or italo to end up as a world champion this year would be tough but if it if it was you know felipe or if it was jordy you'd be like okay there's some historical precedence there they've both finished in the top three in their career you know, multiple times or whatever it is. But if Morgan Sibillic, who's currently at number five, was to get into that last day and somehow ended up walking away world champion, it would be an incredible story, but it would not necessarily be what's like best for the sport, I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. And that, that's nothing personal to whoever finds themselves in fifth. But I, I think that... <laughs> to your point and, and to something that I think even a lot of the surfers sort of have this, this sort of point as well, that if you're within world title contention going into the last event, then that's fantastic. You, you, you deserve a champion if you win, which leads it. It could go down to six or seven. It never has, but or see, it has been six before. Um, but if you were fifth and you were, you know, Two event win, two event wins away from being world champ. I I just don't think that's really fair to anyone. But they this is this is what we're doing. This is what we're dealing with. Everyone knows that. And now we have what we were ultimately all dreading is that we've got a guy who's running away with it. Yeah, and I mean, he's only right now. He's only eight thousand points ahead. We still don't know if they're going to allow surfers to drop any events this year because Medina obviously does have that one obvious throwaway at Margaret River. Um, so he is, I think, technically still reachable within one event for Italo. Um, and as far as the schedule says, there's still four events left. It's likely from what we know that Mexico and Brazil will get canceled, leaving just Lemoor and Tahiti, which of course are Medina's two pet events throughout his career. I think he's probably had more statistical success at those than any other events. Um, so it is likely that he will end the year in a position where he is theoretically unreachable in a one event normal year, but obviously we're not in that. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to follow and it's interesting to discuss and debate. And I guess we'll just kind of have to see how it plays out and see how we feel about it at the end of the year. Mm. And I'm not against the idea of a one event surf off. I think like to my point earlier, just to be clear on that, I think it would be cool if it was like a, a floating 
rankings. You know, oh, there's three guys here that are all going for a title. Sweet. This is where we're going. Trestles or, you know, in the future, maybe on a boat or whoever. We're going to go to pipe or wherever it's going to be. And this is who's on. Um, but just to lock it in, set it in stone with, with how much variables we face in a year as surfers and, and contests and all this, it just seems, yeah, it just seems like it's like taking away from the best guy. It's like so unfavorable to that person. Yeah. And the other thing too, the interesting comparison between Gab and Morgan is that Gab is 3-0 and against Morgan this year as well, which would just kind of like even make it worse if somehow, you know, the improbable occurred where Morgan somehow kind of made his way into a world title. But, but um, Morgan is that Morgan is to is, say Morgan is two and zero with John. So your point is slightly <laughs> moot there. Fair enough. And and to be clear, like I'm a big fan of what Morgan has done this year. I think it's incredible. I love to see someone his age, especially when you know you and I we talked so much about Ethan Ewing and Jack Robinson as Australia's next hopes. Um, and I think over the course of history, things will even out. I think that the cream always rises. I think that naturally Jack Robinson and Ethan Ewing are better surfers than Morgan. They just haven't figured out the competitive side at this level yet. And Morgan obviously has. He's got the head for it, um, which is not to be discounted by any means. Like champions are, you know, sometimes they're born. Sometimes people truly are just freak talents. But a lot of times champions are made and it comes from a lot of like dedication and hard work. And I think that's what we're seeing with Morgan. Um, so yeah. And, and to that point, I want to also congratulate the other big up and coming surprising, uh, surfer in this event, which was Liam O'Brien, um, all the way to the semis in his first CT ever. And I feel like it's gone like relatively unnoticed. Um, again, I didn't really watch the event live, so I probably missed a lot of the adoration and adulation for him but um he yeah like and and also then i thought back to that event that they had at uh strati earlier in the year which he made the final and that was basically like a ct event you know minus half the tour but like the, the two chances he's gotten to surf against the world's best surfers he stepped up both times and like proven that he's there which is really funny too because he in an interview maybe like a year ago that i did with him he called himself a poor man's ethan ewing Meanwhile, Ethan Ewing has done a year and a half on tour and has only made it out of round three once. <laughs> He's had two cracks at like CT level events and has basically made the finals both times. So, yeah. Yeah, Liam's like, well, I think one thing that probably went unnoticed is because there was no spectators. If that event had been anywhere on the east coast of Australia, I guarantee all of the burly board riders would have got on a plane and made their way to either, you know, a Bells or a Narrabeen or a Newcastle or wherever it was. Like, they would have been coming and getting right behind their boy. But because we were obviously on the other side of the country and there was no spectators there, guys were winning close heats and just kind of walking up the beach, like, into their film or their coach and just high-fiving and there wasn't, like, any hustle through crowd or flags or autograph signings or anything like that. So that played into the part of Liam kind of flying under the radar. And then also to his character, like he's so, is it self-deprecating? Is that the right word? He just talks himself down so much. It's almost painful, particularly as me being an interviewer. Um, it's like, he's so humble and it's just kind of who he is. You know, he, he could have won the event and I'm sure his heart rate wouldn't have gone above 15 beats per minute. He's just such a chilled character. And, um, 
you know, all of that's um, admirable. And he's just got such a cool style. I love the way he does those, like, fun frontside fin throws and he'll, like, extend it. Like, he's just really, like, elastic and kind of jello-y and just kind of molds himself to the wave really well. Like, whatever kind of shape the, the face has, he's able to leverage his limbs to make his board match it perfectly, which to me is, like, my favorite type of surfing to watch. Just somebody who feels like they just, like, mold to the wave. Totally, yeah. He, um... He certainly suited that wave, and even to the point where he was you know, giving himself a hard time for not being able to go left. But that's not the case for for a Gold Coaster. He has a fantastic backhand and can do can do big <laughs> airs. I think I think I think that went unnoticed. Uh, he didn't really do any big airs in the event, but he's got he's got all the tricks. Oh, speaking of which, I also even though he didn't like do that well or put up any huge scores, I really like the way that Kale Walsh surfed in this event. Um, he tried a few errors and he was also doing these like big layback carvy things that like look really polished. Like he actually looks like a really legitimate surfer now. Like it seems like he could probably, if he, he's really still, when I say polished, like he's still pretty rough around the edges and he still has kind of like a youthful mentality. Like he's not going in there with a strategy trying to like win at all costs, but the surfing he's doing is really mature, I think, and shows a lot of promise for the future if he chooses to pursue competitive because he obviously could go the free surfing route and have a super lucrative career there because he's one of the most explosive surfers in, in the world but yeah i really love the way he surfs oh I'm right right behind you i was um grabbing a coffee and uh, watching his heat with um geordie smith and we watched kale get a wave that was we both kind of looked at each other like you know everyone plays the score game you know what's that what's that and we, we were just he was Still, a, you know, a bit of a grommet taken off on just whatever wave came his way, which is exciting. But the surfing that he did was, like, excellent surfing. He, he fucking mm-hmm. looked so good. And we were kind of like, oh, well, you know, they're probably going to bring it down a little bit because it was a small wave, but it was really good surfing. So where do we go with that? Okay, oh, we're probably thinking, like, high good range. And they gave him a four. And we were like, oh, my God. He... <laughs> He wouldn't have. Yeah, was it for that one where he did that like kind of like Dane layback turn, and then he tried another one in the end section and like almost landed it. Yeah, that turn was insane. I was like, how do they go so low on that? Oh yeah, we were tripping, and and it was like it was like oh we were just hoping that he didn't get discouraged by it. And I know he didn't. He he was he's just kind of happy to be in the event, and I think he was happy to put his style of surfing on display regardless of the result. He he definitely had a few moments um, that showed what he's capable of and I think that's all he really wanted to do if he beat one of the top guys stoked but if he didn't it wasn't you know typical wild card mentality and um yeah we were just like holy shit what have you got to do to get a six <laughs> <laughs> well for Jordy you got to do a cutback and a floater um <laughs> oh and speaking of which um the new old guard uh Julian Wilson made a quarterfinal and uh then one of my favorite moments actually was his interview with you after the Morgan Sibylla heat where he was rather frustrated. Julian Wilson out of the event and he's with Stace. Julian obviously looking to go further in this event, uh, visibly disappointed. What's the breakdown with Luke after that one? Um, I mean, I just sort of threw everything at it. Um, Kind of, yeah, through a lot of different stuff. Um, had a big set wave with two committed manoeuvres. Felt pretty good. Um, I got really frustrated watching Morgan's three-turn wave that turned into an eight. I can't believe that. Um, 
But I was still in the heat. One of those airs at the end. Then I did everything right. Just the shock, he just completely denied me when I landed. I think that would have been a high score. Um, but yeah, just super frustrated. So I went back and I looked at that wave that he was talking about with Morgs. And I have to say, I kind of agree with him. Those were pretty soft turns for an eight. Yeah, it's um, it's just two different styles of surfing. And I think that both of the highest scoring rides in that heat were pretty similar, no matter what way you look at them. Because, you know, whatever you could say about Morgan's, you could probably counter that with Julian's. Um, you know, a couple of down-the-line floaters for Jules. Bigger wave for sure, but, um, you know, he didn't really get to change direction. Whereas Morgan might have been going a, you know, a fraction slower. The wave was a little smaller, but it was still a set. And, and Morgan's going up and down. And he's definitely hitting it as hard as he can. Um, so just two different styles of surfing. And it's not the first time the judges have gone with the new flavor. You know, and every, anyone that's been around the tour long enough knows that. And that's nothing personal against anyone. It's just sometimes when... You know, you see the new kid on the block. They definitely, definitely get a little bit of help sometimes. And on that exchange only, you could argue about that exchange all day. But I think overall, Morgan still wins that heat. Julian had his chance with one of his big airs and didn't make it. And Morgan's backup, I thought, was enough to be the clear winner. Like, he won that heat by two points, I think. So I really don't think there's too much of an argument there in the end result. No, I agree with that too. And it's also interesting, like, when that happens... Like, we're able to look at it now from 10,000 feet and say that in that 35 or 40 minutes or whatever, like, Morgan's two waves are better than Julian's. But when you're in that moment and you're Julian and you hear that your wave got a 7 and your competitor's got an 8, it totally messes with your mind, especially when there is, like, the kind of, like... I mean, this is probably getting too deep into psychoanalyzing people that I don't actually know, but, like, you have Julian, who was this child prodigy, was getting paid millions of dollars who now recently lost his main sponsor, is toward the bottom of the tour rankings. And you have this rookie kid who kind of came out of nowhere and is now in the top five. Like, I don't know, there's like all these different like things. It's like, oh, and now the world flipped on its head. And it... No, I know exactly what you mean. And to, to not talk to someone else's psyche, I'll just talk about what I know uh, being involved in a, in a similar situation. And I guess you could say that... I'm working through the same thing now with with Malia. Like she'll do a frontside rap that two years ago would have got a score, and it's just not getting a score anymore. So the, the, in this situation, you need to know that you aren't the flavor of the month anymore. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. But I think that's what the best of the best do so well. They reinvent themselves just just marginally to keep what they're doing interesting. And I think you know the world champs are the best at that. Someone, someone like Mick, someone like Kelly, they're always just changing up their game a little bit, whether it's their board or the angles of their turns or something. Because if you don't change and you keep doing the same old thing and the new kid comes on and he's going a little bit faster or he's turning in a different way or he's riding a board that no one's ever seen, that's going to be attractive. People are going to get interested in that. The judges are only human. So I think that's something to know that when you've got the red jersey, definitely milk it. But when you don't have it, you don't have that little extra kick that you need sometimes, which it's there in surfing. Anyone that says that it's not, it definitely is. You need to know when you have it. You need to know when you don't. And that's got nothing to do with sponsors or fucking anything, really. It's just got to do with what you're doing on the wave.
Yeah, and to your point on reinvention, I've actually seen that in Gabby this year. Obviously, we've talked all about the coach change and how that's affected him, like, emotionally. But even on the on the face of the wave, like, the vertical frontside turns he was doing in this event, I'd never really seen from him before. Just absolute daggers at 12 o'clock. And then in his airs, he's become, like, more kind of, like, upright and relaxed he, he almost seems to be like meditating in midair like he does this one frontside air reverse might have been in like the quarters or something or i don't remember exactly but he just looked so like like he looked like a dancer in midair like like he just i don't know it's just so flowing and weightless and carefree um and yeah his surfing to me it looks a little bit different than it ever has i, I couldn't agree more and i had a moment with him that i kind of fucked the question up because it was just too long, but I was trying to get out of him. When was the last time he'd done a carve snap combo on a left in a CT? But it was the same heat that he did the two airs on one wave, and he just started talking about that. But, you know, maybe you might be able to help me out there. <laughs> like, Fiji, when he beat Nat Young, he was kind of getting barreled, doing a carve, doing an alley-oop, getting barreled. Like, it, it had a bit of everything, but just face surfing... Wrapping and snapping like we see out of all the natural footers all year long at Bells and Snapper and J-Bay on the front side. Like him doing that front side, I've never seen that before and I fucking was loving. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool to see everything that's coming from him this year. Um, and shoot, on that point, um, you know who else I really liked in this event? Or a couple of guys are Iago and Miguel Pupo, who seem to finally find a bit of like confidence i guess it's going frontside right like they're just so tired of going backside that they finally got a left and they're like oh my god game on yeah like the the goofy footers have all been screaming out for a left forever uh and you know not so much a left but a left like this where you can rip it and until recently the the, the left in the pool was the only left where you saw some relevant combos and Still, it's not really that relevant because it's the pool and the waves. You don't really get that wave in the ocean. So they were all they all made the most of it, and it, and it was cool to see because, you know, it was similar to, like, the girls at Narrabeen, the Tatiana and Caroline making the final. Like, the Goofies, like, maximised their opportunities. And I think they, they did here too with, um, you know, performances that Miggy had and, um, and also Yago. Yeah. Um, cool. And speaking of the women... Um... Why don't you guide us through that a little bit? Because admittedly, I didn't get to watch as that as I would have liked either. Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, we, we, we've known about it a lot. And it sort of sort of was it was on it was on show here again because the right was so bad. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't like to be pointing the fingers, but there's a few of the, few of the women, few of the natural footers. They definitely need to sharpen up backside. And I think after that event, there was nowhere for them to hide. And, um, and it, it, it sort of, it was, it was shown here, I think. I'm starting to think that, um, you know, just with your Liam O'Brien comments and, and just thinking back, like, I think it's actually a bit of a conspiracy, this whole entire tour. Because, you know, the ASP was based out of the Gold Coast. And I think we still see the entire tour is still based on the skeleton that they created. And I think it was really, the tour was really designed to help Gold Coast surfers win. And um, yeah, I guess, I guess we're starting to see the other side of that now. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Oh, wow. No comment. <laughs> um, anyway, it was really cool to see Sally Fitz back in form. You know, she's been one of those surfers who, over the past, like, decade, obviously, you know, I guess I would say the former half of the previous decade she was like a really really strong force in women's surfing and like always making finals always in the top three at the end of the year um but with the new wave you know with like the tyler wrights and and all that she's kind of like fallen back a bit and now after a win here in a really convincing win as well like she surfed really solid she finds herself back at number two in the world so she is like for sure going to be in the wsl finals and could potentially be in a really good position i mean being in that second spot um, yeah, like she'll, good chance she'll get to go in the final. Yeah, look, I mean, depending on what, yeah, I mean, full credit, Sally, that was an awesome event. Um, she actually had a quarterfinal with Malia that, um, she had a tube, a backside tube that she didn't make, um, that was so well ridden that when she finally did later in that heat find a really high score with a backside barrel, it was like, man, she deserved that. Like, she'd done all the hard work on the previous ride sort of 10 minutes earlier. And sometimes heats like that don't go your way and they're the little moments that get away from you, but not this event. Sally, like, maximised every chance she had. Um, and ultimately, it was a really close final. Joanne DeFay fell on her last wave that would 100% be the score if she got it. Um, but not to be the case, and, and Sally took the win. So it was both of those two were super strong on the backhand all all event and it showed with them coming out one and two you call on like sally definitely being in i'm not i'm not so sold on that um i guess it just depends on how many more events we have if we only have two more events then yeah you're probably right um but my my... well and also remember that one of them is chopu who you know not Mm. that many of the women will be at her level out there agreed um I just want to make the point, though, that it is really tight. Really, really tight between the women. Like, much tighter than the men for that final um, final five. And you're right, Sally probably will be safe. Um, but, you know, between between seventh, who is Caroline Marks, who's on, you know, call it 24,000 points, Sally's on 28 in second. So there is definitely... It's not done yet. She's looking really good, but... The, the, the race for the, the women's final five is looking really competitive. Can you bring us down that list from first to seventh, please? Absolutely. So Carissa Moore's on 36,000. Um, she, she's in. Sally, 28. Tatiana, 27, but with a really low throwaway. The, the lowest throwaway of the top seven. Is there any word on that, whether there's going to be a throwaway? Uh, I hope so. Tyler, 26. Stephanie, 24. Joanne 24, Caroline 24. So it's going to be super exciting. Yeah, wow, that actually is a really fun... Like, those are, I would say, the seven women that, like, really matter in terms of a world title race. So that's really cool to see them all bunched up at the top. And, um, like, it would be hard for me to imagine, for instance, Caroline, you know, not being in that top five at the end of the year. But then it's like, shoot, she's got to jump either Steph or Tyler or who, you know what I mean, to get there. So it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be sure. a big leap. I think a big surprise for me is Courtney Conalog, and she'll be praying that they get a throwaway mm. um, because she's also carrying, um, you know, one of the lower throwaways that you can have. And she's in ninth, which this year is the lowest cutoff for the women. You've got to make the top nine this year, not the top ten. 
Right. You'd think that'd be something that... W- I mean, we've said this before, but you'd think that would be something they'd have to announce sooner rather than later. Because people need to know where they actually stand, you know, not where they theoretically stand. Because you drop out an event, and I guarantee you that top seven shifts around a little bit. Oh, 100% it would, yeah. Um, you can't really announce that, though, until you know what your year looks like in terms of amount of events surfed. So... I would like to think Wouldn't it be fair to just say regardless, though? Like, you just drop one? Because you're not going to have a full year regardless. Dropping Mm. one would be fine, even if you only run two more events. I don't know. That's what I would do, but... Yeah, one one seems fair. One seems seems pretty fair. Um, But um, the reason why you can't get your words out properly at the moment is because you've got mad jet lag, and it's because you're on what? Are you on a perso holiday, or are you actually working? Uh, Yes. I <laughs> I am on a holiday and I will be working, but not to the you know extent obviously that I usually do. Like normally, I'm on the computer ten hours a day doing site and social and prod project stuff. Uh, but I'm going on yeah pretty much just a surf holiday with my girlfriend um, to Indonesia. So I'm currently hotel quarantining for the required five days and then we'll be off on an island for quite some time. Um, and the work I'm going to be doing is basically just board testing which is uh kind of what we all do when we go surfing any day of the week so um it's not even really that much work but yeah mate that sounds like a dream you deserve it you've been going hard um how'd that last board go i watched you clip on the hayden it looked, it looked like um it had its moments yeah um i think i i had a really good day of waves on it which was awesome um, ended up like just basically scoring with just one other friend in the water, pretty much pumping surf on the East Coast of the U.S., which was amazing. Um, I think the fins that I used didn't really work super well with that board. Um, the board was pretty stiff in and of itself, and then the fins seemed to make it stiffer. I think I almost needed like a little bit smaller of a fin or maybe just a little bit more flex or something to really let it like unleash. But I did have some, like like you said, some moments. Like, it felt really good off the bottom. It felt like I was just holding my line, like, perfectly. Um, it was good in the barrel. Um, it's got, you know, this is the cohort one, by the way, Hayden Shapes. Uh, it's, it's a new short board in a line of boards that will hopefully um, kind of cover you in all conditions. And this is, like, the short board in it. Um, and, yeah, it's got a bit of nose rocker, so it was, like, it, it held up really well in, in the barrel, um, and it kind of saved me on some later drops. But, yeah, I didn't quite, because of kind of the fins and the board, I couldn't quite get that, like, really tight snap that I wanted. So it was kind of having to go, like, a little bit rounder turns, which is fine. It's also good, like, especially backside, which is what I was, to kind of, like, teach yourself how to do a backside carve because uh, that's something that I certainly lack, and I think even a lot of, like, top pros really lack is a proper backside carve or roundhouse Um, and then I brought it out in some smaller waves switched the fins to something way flexier and looser um, and it didn't go great just because like I said before the board has a lot of rocker and the waves are pretty flat and soft and kind of like side shore and just tough to surf and I just I would have needed a board that was a bit flatter and quicker I think Um, but overall like I've ridden the board since then in good waves with a different set of fins, and it feels really good. Um, definitely like a board that I would reserve for those better days, but something that I'd be happy to take out when it's pumping. That's what you want. <clears throat> That's half the trick, isn't it? Like to not ride the wrong board on the wrong day. 
if you're lucky enough to have a couple of boards in the quiver. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of pros face that decision. Um, hey, this board's just going good. So you're going to ride it, but ultimately, uh, you know, the condition's going to dictate how that board's going to go. Yeah, and, and what are you working on? I saw some uh, sneaky clips of you again over in Australia surfing a few boards. So what do you got coming? I'm chipping away on the Sharpeye Inferno 72, and I'm having an existential crisis with it because it feels amazing. But then I watch the clips and there's just something not quite there. So I'm deciding whether to just do I ever watch any more clips on it or do I keep trying to ref do I keep trying to refine it and I just put some bigger fins in it and I had a pretty fun surf on it um at snapper uh yesterday so I'm, I'm hoping that um it certainly felt like it, it was biting in a bit more because when I was riding it in the smaller stuff it felt really fast and whippy but didn't have that kind of drive and I think that's something that um you you need um even when the waves are small you want to be responsive but you also want to be feeling like you're locked in which um yeah right so is this the board that taj won stab in the dark is. on yeah so um it was funny I, is yours in dark arts mine's as well in dark arts mine's in a, just a pu um and um i I spoke to Taj about that in WA when we were over there. He was hanging around the comp a couple of days and um, he didn't watch He didn't watch any clips. Um, not to say that would have affected the outcome, but it's certainly, I don't know, what do you do? Do you watch your clips at all before you make a decision on, on what you're going to say? No, I mean, I, I give my review without seeing clips for sure, at least in each given session. Like I come in and I talk straight to the camera. I don't go and like watch clips first mm. so um yeah it's always like a bit of like oh i hope what i'm saying matches up with what that end product is and sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but like even with taj's like a lot of people thought that he surfed best on the channel islands he had a session at that left i don't know what it is in wa where he was just absolutely flaring on the thing um and but again like why do we surf you know it's it's i hope not so that we go back and feel like we like the way we look like i hope we're surfing for a feeling that's certainly like i don't know <laughs> we've definitely reached a point in kind of you know social media and everything where it does feel really important to like look cool and all that but at the end of the day i think we're all going out chasing a certain feeling and i don't think that clip should deter you from feeling it's like don't let the the truth get in the way of a good story right no exactly <laughs> And I think that a lot of people, 99% of the surfing population don't get a, ever get a clip of themselves. They just don't see themselves surfing. However, if you're at a place like Lower Trestles, D-Bar, Snapper, you're getting, you're getting filmed for sure. Even if you're just a random bloke, you're getting filmed. So it is definitely getting to a point now where a lot of people are starting to see themselves on footage more. And I, and I, I think it ultimately it's a good thing because I think across the board, the, the, the broader demographic of surfer ride boards way too small and way too undervalued and all the rest. So if more people are seeing themselves surfing, they might understand um, a little bit more about how to pick the right equipment for them. Um, and like we said earlier, the right conditions. Oh, you're going to fucking hate, you're going to hate this though. I yeah. was doing runarounds and checking my waves after each runaround and just like full 
coaching myself <laughs> <laughs> as I was doing runarounds. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, it, it, it worked. No it was something that I wanted to see if the board would do. And, and it did. So I was stoked. I was like, okay, bigger fins, going to try and turn here. Um, and it worked. But overthinking it, probably. <laughs> and did I hear that on one of those runarounds, Jack Robinson might have grabbed your board? Oh, yeah, this is a funny story. Um, he just asked what I was on, and I just said, oh, this is the, this is the sharp eye. It goes, goes really good. I, you know, he goes, oh, give us a go. And I, a, lot, every, a lot of people say that, right? And you think they're, they're joking. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is my last surf on it. Like, I've, I've had heaps of really fun sessions on it where I've got plenty of waves, and it was getting to the point in the review where I was sort of, any more surfs on it, I would have probably just been duplicating or, yeah, like I said, overthinking it. So I thought, this is my last surf on it. Whatever happens here is, this is it. Um, and he, he took me up on my offer and, and um, rode that board and absolutely just destroyed three-foot snapper on the thing. Um, so I'm excited to show everyone those clips. I'm, I, I just said, oh, well... You can keep the board if you want. So I think he's going to keep it. I don't know if he's going to. I don't know if he's going to get it copied or, or whatever. But um, I just said, oh, just let me let me put one of those waves in the review, as a trade off. So um, yeah, I think that um, he's looking for a board for the wave pool, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if if he rode that board in the pool. Wow, that's unreal. Um, I also heard that he might have been trying a few different boards, maybe like a CI over in WA. Is that true? Is he is he doing a bit of a little runaround with different board brands? Right yeah, now? I think he's just looking for a small wave board and particularly a board for the pool. And that's why he's here at Snapper because the, the pool was made off Snapper or Green Mount. So um, I think that's why a lot of, a lot of crew are here. Uh, Malia's here, Jadson's here, Robbo's here. Um, and that's no, that's no coincidence. They could pick anywhere in Australia, but they've picked here for that reason. So, um, yeah, Robbo's definitely having a little look around for sure. And, and he sort of said to me, like, oh, he's loving his boards, but he's just at that point in the year where it'd be fun to try some different stuff out. So I think that's sort of, that's sort of what he's doing. Yeah, and on that point um, of surfers ending up in Coolangatta after the WA event, I saw Griffin Colapinto was there which was interesting to me because as I understood it with John, John, Kolohe and Kelly all out on injury right now and unable to compete in the ISA world games, I assumed that himself, uh, Connor Coffin and Seth Moniz, the next three highest surfers from the 2019 CT rankings would fill their slots. However, none of those three surfers are going to be attending the ISA World Games. And somehow that has resulted in the USA's three male surfers in that event being three teenagers, um, Ryan Huckabee, Taj Lindblad, and Dimitri Poulos, which I found patently absurd. Not that those kids aren't talented, but like they're going up against Gabby, Italo, and Philippe for Brazil. Um, Julian Owen and Ryan Callanan for Australia and like like literally country's top top surfers and we have three unproven children <laughs> competing against them and it gets even weirder because you could say oh you know the ISA World Games whatever it's just an exhibition event really like it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things however if K 
Kelly, John, and Kolohe are unable to compete in Tokyo. Two of those three teenage surfers are going to be our Olympic surfers for the USA. The only six people now from the USA that are eligible to surf in the Olympics are Kelly, John, and Kolohe, who are all hurt, and these three kids. So if those guys are unable to make it back by Tokyo, which is in about two months, um, we're going to have literal teenagers surfing for us, like unproven teenagers. It Not makes, even like superstar teenagers. It makes me so happy because that's what I think the Olympics should be about. And that's all I'll You say. think it should go back to like amateurs, basically? No, I just think it should go back to the kids who never got the chance in the first place. What does that mean? Why would you not put your best people forward for the like biggest nationalistic surfing event? We ha- it's, it's not. We have, and they're all buckled, so give the kids a chance. Fucking perfect as far as I'm concerned. And I'm going for the Greek kid, Dimitri Poulos. Maybe he should be surfing for Greece. <laughs> you got some uh, bloodline pride there, I can see. But, I mean, come on, let's be real. Like, first of all, it's going to be almost impossible for anyone, I think, to beat, like, Gab or Italo in Chiba. Maybe Kanoa has a chance. Uh, maybe Kolohe, if he's well enough. But, I, I mean, think of all the other Americans that you have that could fill in those slots. You, so the next three surfers on the 2019 QS rankings, for instance, would be um, I think Jake Marshall, Baron Mamiya, and Ezekiel Lau. And then you could even go outside the realm of like competition and look at guys like Ian Crane or Mason Ho, who, you know, might not be as competition focused, but their like talent level and ability is like kind of up there with the best guys in the world. Um, I don't know. To me, I gu- I guess we see this differently, which is totally fine, but like I just can't imagine a bunch of kids who no one's ever heard of representing America in the biggest like national or multinational international event that's ever happened in surfing the first time we're ever in the olympics you can stay at mick fanning's house on the gold coast and surf pumping waves with the king or you can go to el salvador and risk your health for what (laughs) well that is the other side of it is all those three recently revealed you just named all just stayed at Mix for the week with the King surfing Pump and Snapper and Stratty and D-Bar and having the fucking time of their lives. So what are you going to do? I guess, like, because I know that Griffin, Connor, and Seth would all love to be in the Olympics more than they would love to surf a good week of waves on the Gold Coast. I guess they're with assuming... Me <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, it does add a couple points. Um, but I guess that they're assuming that at least two of the three injured surfers will be well enough by Tokyo. And uh, based on recent reports, I would assume that's not going to include John Florence, who has officially gotten an ACL surgery. Um, The one kind of caveat to that is he didn't have to get the ACL replaced, which is what typically happens, but instead he just reattached it to the femur, um, which is a different kind of less strenuous kind of surgery because I think typically they have to actually take part of your hamstring and make it into your eight year new ACL. So you have two parts of your body that have to heal. So it takes a lot longer, but with this one, it's just that kind of like reattachment that has to heal. So it's not as bad, but according to the doctors that I've talked to on the matter, there's still no way he's going to be like fighting fit by end of July. 
So it's looking like Kolohe and Kelly need to be better by then. Otherwise, yeah, it'll be interesting. It, yeah, I mean, there's so much about that that's interesting. Um, uh, the biggest thing for me is like in John's pretty short career, like he's still really young in the grand scheme of things. He's had to take like two, I think, big risks with his rehabilitation. And the first one was he went no surgery the first time around and then ultimately had to get surgery, unfortunately, when the knee blew out again. And then with this one, he's, he's had to get a surgery that seems fairly, fairly new. Now, that's not a problem. If you look at hamstring surgeries with football players, you know, 10 years ago to what they are now, they're doing exactly, you know, a similar level of progression and what used to be a, a two-month injury is now they've got people running again in three weeks. So, like, the medicine in that world is just so quick to adapt. So there's every chance he could be fine, and I'm sure he's got the best team in the world looking after him. Um, but it just, it's just kind of... I just kind of feel for him in that sense and that, fuck, he's had to make some hard decisions with, like, his career. And he's only... I think he's only got 27, you know. Both knees done. That's fucked. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really fucked. It's really sad because as far as I'm concerned, he's the most naturally gifted surfer that mm. we've ever been gifted. <laughs> um, like from, you know, I know it's cliche, but literally from two foot to 20 foot, like he's won world titles. He's won events in small beach breaks. He's won the Eddie. Mm. He's won the Pipe Masters. And he looks better than almost everyone doing it. Like, obviously, he was never going to reach, you know, Slater levels of domination competitively. Just one, because the field now is so much more talented. And two, Slater just has a mind that is, like, kind of unparalleled, I think, in surfing. And as, you know, as talented as he was on a surfboard, it was kind of what was going on up here that allowed him to achieve such great heights. Uh, not to say that John doesn't have a great competitive mind, but, like, it's just, it's not the same. Um, but anyway, like, to see someone of his true caliber just getting taken out by the knees, <laughs> uh, so to speak, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to watch because... I don't know. Like, what do you do if you're John? Like, do you just keep coming back and keep trying? Or at a certain point, do you just say, like, man, I guess, like, at least competing is really, it doesn't seem like it's the best for me. Yeah, I guess it's all going to come down to, you know, how much he still puts a value on, on competing, which at the moment is really high because he's obviously taking these risks to be fit for the Olympics. So I think that's a good sign of where his head's at for us as fans, that he wants to be back in time. So... We'll take that as a pretty positive sign, I think. But, um, man, you look at his ratings over the last, like, you know, 10 years or whatever, how many years he's been on tour, and then you look at Gabriel's, and, you know, Gabriel's obviously this consistent machine. He's just, like, other than one year where he finished 12th, I think that was the half year, it was, like, 12th, 7th. Every other year, he's either third or first or second. And, you know, John would be the same. If he, if he unfortunately hadn't been marred by these injuries.